I had this realization the other day when I was walking down the aisle at the grocery store. I saw a can of chicken soup on sale for a dollar, and I thought, why is this food so cheap? It struck me as I was looking at that can of soup that being able to buy such affordable food and having access to a grocery store less than a mile from my house is a luxury, and not everybody has that privilege. That's especially true for people living in the Arctic. Imagine living in a rural community 80 miles north of the Arctic Circle, a plane ride away from the nearest city. Where do you find affordable food? We talked with Chief Dana Tizatram of the Vuntukwitchin First Nation about this problem. Two frozen steaks costing you about $20, um, $17 Canadian for four liters of milk. It's incredibly expensive, but our traditional foods provide our sustenance. So you can buy those two frozen steaks for $20, or you can buy a bullet for 63 cents. Think about that. $17 Canadian for what equates to a little more than a gallon of milk. That's absurd. This has contributed to a huge food security problem in the Arctic. So that's what we want to talk about in this episode. Not just the cost of food itself, but the emotional, psychological, and cultural costs of not having access to food and what that means for people in the Arctic. I'm your host, Holly Noland, and this is Think Arctic. Now let's pause for a second to define food security. Food security is measured by a person's access to enough food to live a healthy, active life. So if you make minimum wage and can only afford unhealthy processed foods, or if you live in a rural village in the Arctic and the only store for miles sells milk for $17 a gallon, then you're considered food insecure. There are alternatives to the grocery stores, of course. Some villages have community freezers or hunter-trapper organizations that provide a source of game at a more affordable price. And many people prefer to buy that bullet for 63 cents and hunt. But subsistence hunting isn't as reliable as it used to be. In fact, a lot of things in the Arctic aren't as reliable as they used to be. Changes in the Arctic are altering migratory patterns of animals, impacting harvests, warming oceans, and forcing fish to move to those warmer or colder waters. Take it from former president of Iceland, Olafur Grimson. I could also go to the fish merchant in my country, the fishmonger, and he will offer me uh, mackerel. He might even offer me tuna. These are species that nobody knew of in Icelandic waters through most of my adult life. And as those new species of fish appear, species that Icelanders have been eating for centuries are disappearing. This might seem like a small thing. I mean, fish are fish, right? But imagine what would happen if one of your staple foods just suddenly disappeared. What impact would that have on your community? To answer that question, we talked with Elizabeth Hodges-Snyder. She's an associate professor of public health at the University of Alaska Anchorage and co-founder of the Food Research Enterprise and Sustainability Hub, or Fresh of the North. Food is part of your culture. It is part of your everyday practice. It is part of what 
binds you and connects you to your neighbor, to your past, um, and also to your future. So when there is a disruption in where you get your food, how you get your food, um, the places, um, how those places are changing where your food comes from, that can have very direct impact. To illustrate that, let's go back to Chief Dana. He lives in a small native community in the Yukon. Traditionally, his people have been subsistence hunters, surviving primarily on porcupine caribou. But when we spoke with Chief Dana, that had changed. The caribou herd migrations are completely discombobulated. They don't even make sense anymore. They are not coming to our territories like they used to. What's happening is they're coming from uh, what the Gwich'in call Ijik Gwatsan Gwandai Gutlit the sacred place where life begins, their calving grounds. What's happening now is that they're coming a certain way and turning right around and running back to Alaska. And, and they're doing that again and again. And we're not too sure why. So the migratory patterns have changed. That means hunting grounds have changed and hunting seasons have shifted. Chief Dana's people are talking about establishing a satellite community closer to where the caribou are migrating just to have access to that food source. But in the meantime, these changes are already impacting the community and traditional lifestyles are changing as a result. We are eating far more moose. Whitefish, we're no longer eating the livers. And this is a really big deal because we are caribou people. So for all of our traditional feasts and events, to be constantly eating moose is a huge deviation from our diet because caribou are so sacred to the Gwich'in people that in our oral history, we speak of following them to Ijik Gwatsan Gwandai Gutlit to study their behaviors. And we're talking tens of thousands of years ago because the caribou have been in this northern area for about 2.1 million years. More and more subsistence hunters are turning to processed foods. And as we heard earlier, those are very expensive. You're dealing with the high cost of importing foods, oftentimes not in really great transportation conditions. So they're not, it's not necessarily getting there um, in great shape, which is why shelf-stable foods, which are typically not very nutritious but calorie-dense, those make it just fine. So not only are the foods available in these remote communities more expensive, but they're also less nutritious. This directly impacts physical and economic health, particularly for vulnerable groups. One area that has gotten a lot of attention and made some forward progress lately is getting more local and traditional foods into institutions, which is an exciting advancement. Um, so talking about hospitals, but also schools, also um, prisons to some extent. Um, if you were in a place where you are trying to heal, where you're trying to learn, where you're trying to become a better person, um, food is integral to that, to have a healthy meal that you recognize um, and contributes to improve mental and physical health. But making progress like this isn't easy. And we were hearing stories that it was difficult for folks to find expertise in certain areas. And if you look in the lower 48, there are food uh, centers all over the place popping up for policy, sustainable agriculture education, with cultural focus, you name it, they're all over the place. And we really don't have much of the like up here in the Circumpolar North and certainly not in Alaska. That's one of the reasons Professor Hodges Snyder co-founded Fresh of the North. And it came about uh, in short because I was working in the world of food systems and food security for 
several years up in Alaska and realized that every day I was learning about a new project, a new funding opportunity, a new potential collaborator, a new business coming out related to food, and it was very difficult to keep track of. But Fresh of the North's focus isn't just on Alaska. We just came back from a trip to Finland, for example, attending the Circumpolar Agricultural Association conference that was held there recently, and trying to learn from other circumpolar nations things that they're doing to grow their local food economies, local food businesses, while also preserving years and years and generations and generations of traditional practices. That's an important part of any food security policy in the Arctic or elsewhere. The preservation of traditional practices like subsistence hunting and fishing. Food security organizations like Fresh of the North are working with indigenous leaders to address these issues. A large part of my work is what um, academia would call bridging aboriginal ways of knowing with western best practices. Right now, my people are in the fight of our lives trying to protect the calving grounds of the porcupine caribou herd. But that is just one of the many fights in the war against food insecurity in the Arctic. Rural communities across the Arctic, from Barrow, Alaska to Old Crow, Canada and beyond, are living in food deserts. And fixing that will take more than just a village. It will take a global network of indigenous leaders, community members, researchers, policymakers, and even chefs, all working together to reach the same goal. The good news is that work is already underway. You can see it in the Alaska Food Policy Council and the 14 First Nations of Canada and the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. These groups know that the Arctic is more than just a vast frozen landscape. As Professor Hodges Snyder says, We are a land of potential and opportunity and there is so much good work to be done and we're looking for people to join us. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This podcast is powered by GCI, the premier Arctic telecommunications company. You can find our regular podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Spotify. For now, I'm your host, Holly Noland. Oh,